Welcome to the first ever inaugural Branching Paths podcast. I am your host, Kyle, joined by my co-equal in no way host, John. John, hello. Hey, how you doing? Yeah, not too bad. How are you today? So by, by not equal, you meant superior, right? Exactly right. Yeah, so let's start as we always do. <laughs> First podcast joke. Uh, with with kind of what you've been playing lately. So what have you been playing lately, John? Oh boy, I've been playing a lot of things here. Um, recently played AM2R, that fan game uh, remake of Metroid 2. I recently and, saw you play some of AM2R. And it looked awesome, right? Yeah, it did. It looked very good. And and then to compare that to um, Nintendo's offering, I also played uh, Samus Returns on 3DS, which I bought. Oh, who who since. lent you that? Oh, it was me. It was me who lent you that. Oh, okay. <laughs> Okay, very good. Very generous some, of me. Some douchebag named Kyle. Oh, cool, 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 cool. No, I, don't know, I don't know very well. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to give it back. <laughs> um, so I, I know that you're pretty positive on AM2R, and I know that you were, you only, we messaged a little bit about the, the remake on 3DS, the official one. Um, what are your thoughts? So let's, like, what are your thoughts on AM2R in general? I know, I know in general you liked it, but, and then comparatively, how did you like the Nintendo remake? So I, I absolutely loved AM2R. Um, I'll complain a little bit about Metroid design in general for me mm-hmm. with, with like, I also recently played zero mission again. Um, and I, I really dislike some of the shine sparking puzzles there. I found they were really tedious to practice and actually pull off. Right. Um, and, and then I'm guessing the reward being like a missile tank isn't exactly the most exciting thing ever. Right. Yeah. Like one, one of the harder puzzles took me maybe 10 to 15 minutes to learn. It wasn't that bad, but it was annoying even to just go through those motions. <laughs> sure. Like, like resetting and, and killing the enemies and getting enough space to, or setting up the space to get the, the speed boost and, and all that crap. It, it was a pain in the ass. And yeah, to get a missile tank for five extra fucking missiles, it was, it felt like such a waste of time. Um, there's, there was very little of that in AM2R, which I liked. Um, in Samus Returns, I'm not actually sure because I stopped playing it. <laughs> I actually you bitch. Don't. <laughs> I, don't. I was playing that every night, two hours a night. You said, please let me have it. <laughs> I'm kidding. I was finished with it ages ago. So you have stopped playing it, though. Yeah, you're not getting it back, but <laughs> Yeah, I stopped playing it. AM2R just, just beats it for me, honestly. Um, oh, yeah. Okay. And I'll, I'll bitch about this forever. I, I feel like Nintendo missed such an opportunity to just make that one of their offerings right um, to, to just take in that that group that was making it and or at least involve them in like the production of a remake like like what they had been doing essentially yeah exactly um or what other companies do like capcom and the the Mega Man street fighter um nest right um, yeah. which was really cool it's just it would have been to their benefit i think to to bring these guys in and like, here, look at this amazing 2D Metroid we're making in collaboration with our fans. Here you go. All right. Yeah. Now, in in your ideal world, then Nintendo would have kind of bankrolled it to some extent, right? So provided some sort of funds and helped the production, but then also sold that product. I would have liked to see that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I, I think that that sounds pretty reasonable and cool. Like, you know, it's still their IP, so I can I can appreciate them being protective of it that way. But that would have been way more inclusive and not classic Nintendo hand slappy of them. Uh, right, and it just it would have been it would have looked great for them. Um, mm-hmm. These these fans clearly putting in years of their time and a lot of skill and effort into this thing would have seen some reward for that kind of dedication, which would have been nice. Yeah. Um, and not only that, it's just a really solid fucking game. Right. Yeah. They also did a, an excellent job, apparently even without their support so with yeah. with you know there's a, there's another side to this then i guess um if nintendo was involved would, would we have the same product yeah no that's a good question right if, if it became their day jobs to do that as opposed to a side project like it was and they could take as long as they wanted to would it have been the same end result or would nintendo have you know been famously meddlesome <laughs> <laughs> yeah at, you know at the very least it would have been nice if nintendo was just like you know, forget the DMCA, or not not DMCA. What's it called? Um, cease and desist. Um, yeah, we'll just say the copyright claim. Yeah, that too, I guess. Um, 
forget about all that crap. At the very least, make a fucking tweet about AM2R. Like, check out our what our cool fans are making. Uh, sure, yeah. At the very least, least that. <laughs> yeah, at the very least, just just screw off and let them do what they were gonna do. As long as they weren't making any money from it, why would you care? Yeah, exactly. So, so that that would have been nice. I would have been happy with just that. But either way, there's there are still ways to obtain this. Um, played it, loved the hell out of it. Um, I think I had something like a 92% clear rate playing mostly blind. So, you know, pretty, okay. pretty fun. Okay. Cool, cool guy done. <laughs> right. <laughs> Fuck it. <laughs> um, aside from that, um, you and I were talking the other day. I beat Panzer Paladin finally on the Switch. Right. Hold on. I'm going to bring you back to Metroid for one second. You, you had something you sure. wanted to complain about with the Metroid formula in general. I think it had to do with the combat. Oh, um, enemy placements and enemy patterns really bug me in Metroid games in general. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't played Prime in forever, so I don't remember if it was nearly as much of a problem in Prime. I don't think so. But just because the nature of free aiming, I guess. But yeah, um, yeah, like <laughs> it, it just really bugs me that at least like I'm, I'm a decently skilled gamer. I can get through these things no problem. Oh, here we go again. Jesus. As I'm running through these things, um, I, I find the enemy placements to be like I, I must. It feels like I'm expected to take damage. And in the case yeah. of uh, Samus Returns, I'm expected to take a lot of fucking damage. Right. Um, I feel like the Metroid battles for even the earliest Metroids in the 3DS um, um, version of this, it's like half an energy tank per per um, contact with that fucking thing. Oh, yeah. See, see I felt, I mean, I, I hadn't played it in a long time. Like, I played it when it came out in 2017, so it's certainly not fresh for me. But when I gave it to you, I remember us talking about that, and I felt as though the the like scripted metroid boss battles maybe i don't know maybe with practice and time and as you repeat them over and over again i felt like it became pretty you could you could really like hammer them down and do them you know well but but you felt like it was very much a you're just going to be taking damage for these because they're too unpredictable i would say more like because they are fairly predictable once you get into it uh, especially if the arena you're fighting them in is set up sure you know to give you decent space to move but like getting their pattern down feels it doesn't feel satisfying it's like mm-hmm. i know he's gonna do his super obvious tell he's gonna do that swoop i'm gonna jump i'm gonna fire a missile which will probably ping off his head because they have way too much armor um, <laughs> it's, it's like it's like boring to wait for them you know i'm brought back to like um the ego raptor yeah, I was just gonna bring up. I was just gonna bring up uh, Aaron's video on on Zelda Ocarina of Time. Yep. Where he says it's a lot of fucking waiting. That, yeah, that's waiting. what this feels like, and I can't yeah. help but rush, and then I end up taking hits. So I, I yeah, find like yeah. the the loop here is just not very fun. So uh, you know, I can I can freely admit I'm probably taking all these hits and um, because I'm rushing too much, but I rush because it's kind of boring not to. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I we won't, I won't belabor the point, but like waiting in a video game especially an action game and just having to wait for openings like feels bad most of the time in my opinion it's it just it's tedious and kind of frustrating and yeah um yeah fair enough okay uh, you want to talk about panzer paladin panzer paladin um i felt the story was kind of weak and silly i i, and I don't think that was remotely the point but the yeah. gameplay was rock fucking solid this is like it's very Mega Man esque you know you're picking bosses from the map um you you saw me play you commented that the map reminds you of street fighter yeah yeah it was cool that it was real world locations and real world countries and stuff so i just thought that was a a neat touch yeah it was it was a really cool game i don't have much to say about it other than that it's just it was really good and more people yeah well you know Um, i i I wonder how many people have heard of it because it was it was new for me is it only available on the switch john i looked for it on the playstation store and i didn't find it anywhere uh i didn't check that out but Hmm, i wouldn't be surprised that might be the case. I wonder if it's on PC as well. Pretty much everything finds its way there. But um, yeah, I don't know how many people have heard of it, but I think if you just take a quick look at some videos of it, you, and if you're even remotely a Mega Man fan, you'll probably be sold almost immediately. And it plays, from what I saw anyways, super well. So I, it's absolutely on my list for, for one of the next games I'm going to play. Yeah, it controls really, really well. Um, and, you know, you, 
just the the mechanic of being able to jump in and out of your fucking mech suit is really cool. Yeah, yeah. That's I guess just just for you know listeners as a quick explanation, like you're you're in the giant mech suit, but you have a little pilot that can that can jump out of it at any time, right? There's no limit there. Yep. Uh, so so you're playing uh, as a female pilot named Flame, I think. I honestly can't remember despite having. I think I think that's right. I think <laughs> you you have a notoriously very good memory. Uh, <laughs> for for listeners out there, he does not. What's your um, name again? And, <laughs> um, and I think Flame is what I saw when I was watching you play. So that sounds right. So I know the mech for sure is Grit. So your your team of Flame and Grit. Grit has like a simple AI. So he does he does talk. He is kind of a character. Oh yeah, you said he's got like a personality to him. Yep. Um, and the two of you are going through the world, battling these these bosses and trying to shut down their evil scheme and. It tells you something about the story that I barely remember it, but it doesn't matter because the game is so fucking good without it. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I, I can't imagine really bouncing off of it because the story wasn't grabbing me. It looked like the gameplay was solid enough, so that's great. I'll definitely check out Panzer Paladin, and so should everybody else who has any interest in that kind of game. 100%. Um, okay, so aside from that, uh, I recently bought the Mega Man Legacy Collection, Mega Man X Legacy Collection, rather, on the oh, Switch. Oh, nice. Is that one, two, and three? Uh, one, two, three, and four. Oh, okay. which is oh, right, which is right. awesome because those are the only ones that matter. <laughs> <laughs> so four was the X two. <laughs> four was the first um, uh, PS one Mega Man X. Yep. Okay, cool. Yeah, four uh, of like the new generation of of Mega Man X. I think four is the only one you really need to play. Yeah, I remember watching you way back when we were kids playing uh, Mega Man X six. And there was this particular level that you were working on that just looked unbelievably tedious and unfun. So I imagine that's why five and six become frustrating because they just become grinds and they're not particularly enjoyable to play anymore for that reason. Uh, it's been a while since I've played them myself. I think the level you're talking about is where you're climbing that like purple. Yeah, spiral that, that spiral. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Holy crap. There you go. <laughs> yeah. That, it, just, it tells you how much it stands out in terms of suckage. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Uh, yeah, I, so I've beat five. I think I beat six, and then basically stopped the any X game after that because they're kind of shit. But um, yeah, you, you don't need to go beyond four, honestly. At, at that point, it's pretty old hat, and they don't really add anything that matters. I think an X five X gets a permanent um, Z saber power up. Oh if, yeah, yeah. Eventually, five, five or six. I can't remember which one, but I don't know. It's such a minor thing. Um, X, X1 and X2 are still the best, in my opinion, and, and you don't really need to play the rest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, X, X1 is, is, is a legend for a reason, right? Like, oh, it's yeah. still, it, it's just so smooth, smooth as butter to this day, so. Yeah, I would say, I, I, I'll even include X3 there. X3's level design isn't as good, but it's the first taste of zero you get, so. Right, oh, so he's, he's playable in X3, right? Uh. Yeah, you can play him. Um, I don't remember the exact mechanics of it, but he shows up in the intro stage when X gets like kidnapped by some dude. Um, and at that point, you can call him in each stage. And I think you can play him so long as he doesn't die somewhere. Okay. I think if you die as zero, that stops being an option or something like I that. Hmm. Yeah, that's a pretty. I mean, it's a pretty huge mechanic change, right? Just to finally give player zero as a playable character. That must have been huge when it uh, when it did come out. When you take out that first little mini boss using his fucking uh, Z saber, it's like, oh my god. <laughs> so that's why it's the only reason you need to play four. Four makes him like a selectable full right. character, and, and yeah. you know, getting that, and he's he's designed well too. Like his melee attacks are fucking awesome. Yeah. So after that, nothing really new was offered, so you can stop at X four. <laughs> all right, stop at X four. I can't wait for all the Mega Man X five fans to come hard, <laughs> hard for this podcast. Um, Failure on episode one. <laughs> Uh, and then lastly, of course, you're playing Xenoblade Chronicles X because you've been doing that for the last 10 years. So well, what's new in the, the Xenoblade Chronicles X meta these days, John? Of course, you would bring that up. Uh, <laughs> so I revisited that for our, our game dev stuff. You know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in terms of meta, nothing. Yeah, just <laughs> increasing my hour counter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I mentioned before to you that I wanted to basically see that max out at some point. Yeah, yeah. Fun. You're not even playing it because you enjoy it anymore. You just want to see 999 hours. And for the record, this is just on one of many hundred, multiple hundred <laughs> hour like, save files. So. Yeah, this is like the fourth file, maybe. Yeah. Um, 
I probably have at least 700 hours in this game because I love it so much. But every time I reach end game, I can't help but get pissed off by the insane number bloat. Yeah. For, if you, for anyone out there who has not played this, which is probably a lot of people, um, it starts off really solid. You know, the, the ground-based builds you're doing are relatively low number. Like your, your top HP is going to be a few thousand at most. Once you get to end game, you're looking for builds that are going to do like 13 million damage in one shot because you want to kill a super boss before it even touches you or you're fucking dead. <laughs> so it just stops being fun. <laughs> it's also funny. We, we talked just before the podcast started about being able to comprehend, you know, swings and in, in big numbers and integers like that. Like I can't even, you know what I mean? I just, I don't comprehend if at the start of the game I was doing, you know, 100 damage per hit and now I'm doing 13 million. That just seems totally... I can't I just understand it. That seems yeah, so weird. How do you build around that? It's an insane <laughs> swing. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I could bitch about this ad nauseum. And I okay, mentioned yeah. just now ground-based build, so I should I should just mention that this is also a game where at some point you get the ability to fight in a mech. Um, yeah. And they become pretty much necessary outside of like the strongest um, ground-based builds, the non-mech builds. What, what, there, there's a mech you can make early on uh, in end game, it's not too hard to, to put together. That is like your starting point for everything because they can one shot a lot of bosses. I see, and they basically uh, trivialize all the work you've done up to that point with your ground build. Yeah, exactly. It's and it's a, kind of a silly balance. Um, despite all that, I love the world building in that game. Yeah. And I well, I mean, I played it and I finished it. I haven't played it nearly as much as you. Um, but like, I, I I loved it for what it was. The world exploration was was unlike anything else I've played even to this day. Nobody, I don't think anybody's built a more interesting, immersive open world. Um, and, and take that breath of the wild, which we will talk about in a future podcast, which I, I do like, but we have criticisms. Um, anyways, no, it, it's really excellent and worth your time. You just have to track down a Wii U. So good luck with that. <laughs> yeah, right. I don't know. Something, I have no idea if they're rare. But. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure, actually. I think on Amazon, they're still relatively easy to come by. Um, yeah. the Xenoblade X, it's Xenoblade Chronicles X itself. I'm not sure how, how easy that is to find these days, but mm, that's a good question. Um, well, so John and I both have copies, <laughs> <Yeah>. and I, <laughs> I will sell mine for thousands and thousands of dollars if you're interested. Okay. Um, that's right, pretty much you. it for for all the games you've played. That's recently. it for me. What have you been okay. playing? Uh, I don't have quite as many lately. I, I've been uh, I've been playing right now. I'm playing Astalon. That's Tears of the Earth is the subtitle. I think it's a Japanese studio, Dangen or Dangen Entertainment. Sounds Japanese. Or, or, I sound. I, I need to actually look into that. But anyways, it, it's uh, a game you recommended to me, and it's it's kind of a, a Metroidvania, you know, with that big you know room by room map that you're exploring and fleshing out, and you're coming back to areas that you can, you know, find secrets in once you've unlocked different different abilities and stuff like that. Um, and it's got three switchable characters. All of them are very cool and play quite differently. There's a mage, there's a an archer, and there's a, like a warrior with a sword. And at first, I thought that the warrior with the sword was basically a waste of skin. <laughs> I was like, why would I ever use somebody with a short-range melee attack when I have these two ranged characters who are just infinitely better at dishing out damage? But they do a good job of actually upgrading them all in such a way that they each have their their uses. He, he's actually quite good, that warrior. I, I, I discounted him way too early but the game's the game's incredible it's blowing me away like constantly they feed you such a good steady drip of upgrades that that change the game in an interesting way um and, and aren't just like a silly little trivial oh you'll be able to access one or two secrets in those rooms that you visited you know five hours ago it actually really changes the way the characters feel and yeah it, it's i don't know the, the world building is surprisingly deep and, and horribly interesting for what looks like this, I mean, it's, it's an 8-bit game, right? Um, although 8-bit nowadays looks so much nicer than 8-bit did 20 years ago or 30 years ago. Right. Um, but yeah, so so just, you know, based on looking at screenshots, you might assume it's a pretty minimalistic and, you know, lacking in, in content, I guess. But it, it's it's pretty long. I think I've been at it for like 15 hours already, and I'm getting close to finishing, but that's pretty good if you ask me for like an indie Metroidvania game. Yeah, for and, sure. And uh, yeah. it's not full price either, right? Right. Yeah. Exactly. Right. No, it's 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 an excellent game if you have any any love for, 
you know, the Symphony of the Nights or, or the, you know, Super Metroids and stuff like that. It's it's truly very special. It's, it's good. I, I can't recommend it enough, so I'm glad that you brought it up and, and suggested I play it. The, the moment I was done with that, I wanted more. Yeah, yeah. I want a sequel. I want to know more about this damn tower and these fucking Gorgons. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, they, they, they did a great job of building this little world and not telling you too much, telling you just enough that you're hooked and interested. Um, I mean, ultimately, the gameplay is, is what keeps you coming back because it's just fun to play. But yeah, all that all the trappings of a very well-designed, well-thought-out game from a clearly experienced team. I have no idea what else they've made game-wise, but I can't wait to see what else they make going forward. So, For sure. Um, yeah, it, had me hooked, uh, it had me hooked the moment Algus made that that pact. And without any spoilers for the, the listeners out there, um, Kyle's just saying there, the world-building is, is really good. That starts off pretty quick. Um, the... the kind of dark atmosphere of the tower that pact that your character makes it's all very fucking cool yeah yeah and, and that that pact like yeah they bring it up very quickly and right away they give i i, I like to read we both like to read fantasy like novels quite a bit and one of my favorite things that a good fantasy novel does or any fantasy story is gives you a really cool secret or shows you something that that you know nobody else knows none of the other characters in the world know Right. um that but but not so much of it that you understand it completely right because often it's out of context and there's all this you know world jargon you don't understand but this game does a good job of giving you that little mystery that cool little tidbit of information and then from there you're kind of hooked with with finding out what's going on so it's great that's astalon tears of the earth it's awesome i have it on um ps5 what do you play it on Were you in your switch for that game i played on the switch yep oh yeah okay cool um, it does have a few bugs here and there, and I did have to kill myself yesterday in the game, not in real life, uh, to, to get past the room that had not loaded something properly. So that kind of sucks, but I mean, very much forgivable considering it's a small team, and they're Wait, pretty few and far between. Did you just say you played that on PS5? Yes. I didn't even realize it was on there. Yeah, yeah, I, I just searched the store and it was there. I mean, I think the PS5 store more or less has everything the PS4 store had. Sweet. So I should have played it there since the PlayStation <laughs> controller is better than the Switch. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the D-pad's great. <laughs> Damn it. Yeah. yeah, you fool. Yeah, Wait, second cool. playthrough right there. <laughs> there you go. Um, I was going to say, oh, so th that's really what I've been putting my time into game-wise. Uh, I Just before that, I, I played the new Ratchet & Clank uh, Rift Apart on the PS5. I won't go too much into detail. I hadn't really, I don't think I'd ever beaten a Ratchet and Clank game. So it really was a pretty fresh experience for me. Mm. I can't really speak to how longtime fans will interact with and just experience it because from what I've read, it sounds like it very much is kind of, this is a negative term, but by the numbers, at least as far as a Ratchet and Clank game goes. And I've heard some criticisms lobbied at the writing and some of the characters just being a bit too boring and too cliched and nice and i guess the the series has kind of historically been a bit more cheeky and funny in a creative way so anyways all that to say it was very very fun to play the gameplay is excellent it's it's beautiful to look at um super fun worlds to explore actually a fair bit of exploration that i quite liked and, and really cool upgrades to movement and stuff as you go on which just made it you know fun to zoom around the world and i absolutely recommend it it's not to me a console seller it's not like you have to get a ps5 to play like ratchet and clank to me demon souls even though it's just you know an awesome remake of an old game like that for me personally it was more of a reason to buy the console than than ratchet and clank would be for somebody who hasn't yet so definitely worth playing if you like action adventure games and you have a ps5 so the seven of you listening to this who do, I uh, hope you pick it up and enjoy. <laughs> don't worry, I, think I don't that, have one yet either. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they must be getting easier to find now. But I, I mean, I obviously haven't looked, had, haven't tried looking for a while. So I don't know. I have no idea how much easier they ever get their, your hands on. But, yeah, hard to um, say. I haven't, I haven't looked myself since, um, I'm sure you can speak to this more, but there isn't anything super interesting on there I want right now. <laughs> yeah, the only other thing I, I mentioned, I talked, I had played it a while ago, but I, I mentioned it to you a while ago, and that's uh, Returnal, um, one of the other kind of big, hot Sony exclusives. And actually, Sony just acquired that studio. Did you know that? Oh, wow, I didn't actually know that, no. Yeah, Sony Sony bought Housemark, the company that uh, made Returnal. So pretty cool that they're throwing their weight behind them because the game they made was so awesome. I'm guessing it must have sold fairly well, too. But anyways, the game... I finished it a while ago. Um, only only nine deaths, just for the record. 
Can we can we actually get that written into the record, please? John, do you have the record over there? Uh, yep. Uh, okay, nine hundred. No, uh, that's no, what you meant. no, that's what you meant. no, 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 nine, nine single digit integer. Sorry, I said stone now. Shoot, it's in the record as nine hundred. That's really upsetting. Okay, uh, so nine deaths, which is pretty good from what I was reading on the interwebs, because it is billed as being a pretty difficult game, and it certainly is. There's lots of challenge there. Um, but it always felt pretty fair to me. I really don't think I had a death where I really thought it was like, you know, unjustified or they threw something at me I couldn't possibly have reacted to. Um, it, it's excellent. I really can't re recommend that enough to anyone who has a PS5. If you have a PS5 and you have any interest in action, especially like third-person shooter action, it is a must-play. Super good. Great lore, great world building again, which you'll find a common theme of things John and I like on this podcast. Um, and the gameplay is rock fucking solid. It, it handles so well. Um, yeah, Returnal's great. On that on that topic, um, let's uh, let's talk about kind of today's major topic, which I totally forgot to introduce at the start of the podcast. Um, and that is uh, difficulty in video games, just in general, and kind of our thoughts on it, and some of the discourse we've seen about it lately, especially relating to like the new FromSoft game, Elden Ring, and stuff like that. Um, where do you want to start with uh, the difficulty conversation, John? Uh, since we used Returnal to get into this, let's start with Returnal. I know there was some, so I haven't played it. I want to make that clear. Um, it looks really fucking interesting, but I haven't John, have you have you written that into the record that you haven't played the game? Uh, no. Well, I wrote it down as I beat it with zero deaths. So. Okay. Okay. So the record reflects. Okay. Very good. Yeah. Okay. Anyways, continue. Yeah. <laughs> um, I know there was some controversy about a lack of. Um, checkpoints or the saving system in the game and you can definitely speak more on that but yeah yeah so i guess let, let's start by talking about returnals difficulty sure. whether artificial through some bad mechanics or like intentional with with um less frequent saving or your checkpoints so do you have anything to, to speak on that yeah so I'll, I'll talk about the checkpoint thing um i don't mind the fact that there are no well actually that's not even true because there is technically one kind of halfway point checkpoint where you, where you get to kind of play the back half of the game and you don't have to redo the first half every time so you can't like they're, they're pretty generous as far as that goes what sucks is if you need to put the game down but you're in the middle of a run you you have to put your console into sleep mode there's no like suspending a save file or something and you know lots of people had trouble with like losing power or something while they slept and then there goes your your run that was the one you were going to beat the game and now you know fuck you <laughs> <laughs> somebody hit a transformer um so that was kind of just silly it, it seemed like a why wouldn't you have a suspend feature uh, i don't think most people were necessarily asking for more like proper hard checkpoints where if you made it this far you would just continue from now on from that point because the game is very much designed as a rogue a roguelike game where you when you die you're kind of starting over from scratch i guess my my one complaint i'd levy at returnal as far as the difficulty goes is in most roguelike games, like Hades, for example, you you slowly accumulate, you know, tools that you can use to help you get further as you go on and on. That's just kind of the typical formula for a roguelike, right? Right. They're they're kind of naturally they tend to be pretty tough, uh, but it gets easier as you go on. One because you learn the game better. Two because they give you more more tools to use. Returnal really doesn't do that at all. It lets you unlock uh, like upgrades and augments and stuff like that for future runs, but it only makes them available from the pool of possible upgrades you can find in that run. It never starts you with anything. Oh, so you never actually start any stronger than the no, first run. No, not at all. Interesting. It's, it, it is interesting, and I actually thought that that was going to be a huge turnoff for me because I very much like incremental progression and in, in making my player character stronger, right? I mean, hence the RPG love, right? Sure. Um, but yeah, the, the gameplay was solid enough otherwise that I didn't really care. Every time I died, I, I basically wanted to be right back in the thick of it, try again, and, and just go from there. Um, but let's talk about the difficulty in general and and some of the reaction to it. There were a lot of people... It, it's interesting. They, the game got quite a lot of marketing because it was you know an early exclusive for Sony's new hardware. And I think a lot of people were upset that it was being pushed so much and, and there must be a certain subset of people who ended up buying it without really doing their research and found that it was really hard and, and they weren't really ready for that challenge. Mm. I think that that's some of the reason people were kind of 
you know, mad about Returnal and, and maybe having a bit of buyer's remorse. But I don't think it was because the game was bad at all. I just think it's that they probably weren't ready for the difficulty that it that it had for them. I also am of the mindset, and I think you agree with me here, John, that that there is room in, in gaming for really hard video games. And I don't think Returnal would have been half the success it was or half even like the cultural moment it was, although those last as long as maybe a week at best. But it was talked about for, for at least a week. I think I saw lots of articles about it. Um, I don't think it would have had the impact it did if it was if it was just a difficulty slider where you turn it down to easy and you can beat it in two runs. You know what I mean? Like the whole the, one, the game is designed around failing and, and doing it over and over again. And I can appreciate not everybody necessarily gravitating towards that, but it's it's never done in such a way that you feel like a schmuck for continuing to play. I never felt like my time was wasted. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. Um, a game like Hades or Wizard of Legend or hell anything in the Soulsborne series it i wouldn't remember them as um clearly and you know they, they wouldn't be nearly as memorable to me and as as good to me if they didn't have those elements um yeah a, a huge part of the world building and everything Soulsborne is the fact that you're gonna die <laughs> yeah, exactly right that's the other thing that i i wanted to comment on as far as the Souls series games like they they've used that in the marketing since it started right it's always been you're going to die and you need to come to terms with that <laughs> that's part of the experience and if you can accept that that is natural you will probably be able to to have fun um it's not like they ever recall you about the fact that it was going to be a tough a tough ordeal yeah uh you know if, if the game is designed fairly um and you know not every game manages to find that balance and even some of the best games struggle like yeah. Um, Dark Souls and that fucking, what is that bed thing called? Bed of Chaos? Oh, yeah. I mean, that Souls has tons of good examples of unfortunately frustrating encounters, right? <laughs> we can all yeah. accept that they're not perfect, but. As good as it is, there's some hot garbage in there. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, but if you can agree that a game, or if you, if you can, if you, if you take a game like Dark Souls and you think that it's relatively well designed, relatively well balanced, but you still can't get through it. I think it's okay to admit either it's not for you or that you're going to have to dedicate some time into just trying to get better. I don't want to yeah. say get good with that, that fucking meme thing that's been around <laughs> forever, but you know, as someone trying to make a game or trying to get into making games, I'd like to think that the experience is worthwhile enough that you'd be willing to put in the time to practice and improve. Um, yeah. And if it's not, and then rightfully so you should move on. Um, yeah, exactly right. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of people come at it with the argument that companies should just try and make their product as like accessible and playable by as many possibly interested people as possible, right? Just appeal to as many people as you possibly can. Uh, and then they often come with the argument of, you know, well, you'll get more sales that way. Like, wouldn't, why wouldn't you do that? You're just going to sell more more copies. You're right. Um, and I, I, I personally... I mean, the jury's out on that. We don't know if that's the case, right? Uh, I have a feeling if Elden Ring released and it had difficulty settings, like easy, normal, hard, it might. It did, that's actually an interesting case. I have a feeling it wouldn't necessarily impact its sales. I do think it would impact its reception for the negative pretty severely. It might affect the next game they released if they still have the difficulty settings in it. Does that make sense? I think I know where you're going. Um, like I can only speak personally here about why I don't like difficulty settings. No, 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 no. Speak, I'll... speak for everybody. Come on. <laughs> All right, for everyone, <laughs> for every listener. <laughs> um, yeah, like I, I do not like difficulty settings um, because the, in my opinion, the the compromises you're making to create these different tiers of difficulty usually, in my in my opinion, kind of cheapen the experience a bit because um, difficulty usually comes down to numbers. Yeah, almost yes. almost always, yeah. Yeah, you, t you take, um, uh, I just mentioned it in, in the earlier section here, uh, Etrian Odyssey Nexus. There's difficulty settings there. I'm the kind of person that the moment I see a difficulty selection screen, the first question in my mind is, okay, if I don't play on the hardest difficulty, what am I missing out on? Is there something yeah, and, that's not acceptable? Yeah. <laughs> True, that's a good point, yeah. Because I'm not on fucking hard mode, or is it is it a bragging rights thing? And there there's a part of me that's like, okay, I got through it on, the hardest difficulty um 
So it's like, okay, I'm the, you know, a minor moment of pride there, but yeah, I sure. would rather just have one consistently designed experience that the developer intended than for lackluster ones. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I, I would rather, I would rather have that developer intended design with no, with no difficulty setting and the difficulty be too hard <laughs> and, and me just not play it then have the difficulty options, if that makes sense. Because yeah, it, it does, it cheapens it for me to, to such a level, like, I don't know, maybe it's part of just kind of seeing behind the curtain. Like when you change the difficulty, it's almost a, hey, take a look at our numbers. How do you want, how do you want us to change them for you? <laughs> and you kind of like, it's seeing too much of the, the nitty gritty of like the, the, the game dev, especially RPGs and stuff, right? Right. And just seeing all the numbers behind it all. And, and, you know, eventually they might become that anyways as you play it for 50 hours and you just learn the systems. But I think that's part of the joy of, of playing it for as long as, as you do. But um, I had another point I wanted to bring up regarding selectable difficulty. Um, anything else you wanted to say on that that kind of first part there? Uh, just another good example of the kind of number bloat that you usually see. That's like the cheapest way to increase the difficulty of a game. Um, so some games will actually change up enemy placements. I'm struggling to think of an example right now, but I believe Mega Man 11, uh, the the newest one in the in the classic series, I think they change up some of the placements when you play. Oh, interesting. Oh, they have a difficulty setting for that. I hope I'm not talking out of my ass here. I'm pretty sure they do. Mm -hmm. um, uh, that that annoys me greatly. <laughs> you know what? Someone's <laughs> gonna comment and be like, "No, you're wrong." <laughs> you are wrong. <laughs> but uh, the example I wanted to bring up was um, Dragon's Dogma. Dragon's Dogma has a hard mode that if you're if you're out there and you've played this, you know what a pain in the ass it is to even choose hard mode. Um, just through the menuing and stuff, it's it's so stupid. But yeah. when you're playing on hard mode and you're playing as a fighter, one of my favorite jobs in that game, um, you can go off to this little bandit camp early on because a whole so much of the game is open to you right away. On oh. hard mode, that bandit will kill you in one shot, even though you're playing the tankiest job. Mm, nice. <laughs> and but you, you still want to play in hard mode um in my opinion because enemies can drop significantly more money right so you can kind of get your your build rolling really quickly on hard mode um i would rather have just played the standard difficulty and they decided to make it more challenging yeah for sure yeah, fair enough. Um, there was one other thing I wanted to mention about the so so some of the arguments I've seen in support of of difficulty settings, and, and I guess one caveat here, of course, we should probably mention because we've talked about this before, and I think we both agree that there, there's got to be room for everything, right? So we're not saying no games ever should have a difficulty setting. Do it this way, or it's immediately bad. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I think in general we're reacting more to the the crowd that's saying games that are designed with like difficulty as a kind of core mechanic or core selling point are, are kind of bad <laughs> on their on, on their own merit just because they're too hard for some people. Uh, so I wouldn't necessarily say that that difficulty settings are always bad. For example, one that people bring up a lot that they quite liked was Celeste, um, that, uh, that 2D platformer that everybody loves that I played quite a bit of and, and did enjoy quite a lot, but I, did, I never did finish. Um, and it had, I don't remember the details, but it had an interesting way of kind of helping you. And I think inevitably you still had to kind of pull off the hard platforming requirement, but the punishment was kind of very, very small if you failed it. Um, so anyways, but back to the point I wanted to address here. I, I saw a number of people on the internet. Uh, so this means that everybody feels this way because I saw one or two comments about it uh, saying that companies would inevitably sell more of a product. You've got to laugh when I make the joke, not five seconds after, John. You're killing it. I only just realized you made a joke. <laughs> but um, it, was, it was great. So there you go. Oh, thank you. Is that is that in the record for the, for, for the record? Uh, no, we're going to record that you got no laughs. Shit. <laughs> Damn it. Um, so I, I saw people making a point that just from a pragmatic point of view, companies should do this because they will they will sell more copies of their game if they have difficulty settings. Um, and interestingly, I saw this in a Vati uh, video. Video. He's he's a gentleman who does a lot of Souls uh, Soulsborne game or Soulsborne videos rather on YouTube. 
Uh, and so I, I didn't double check the stats. Forgive me if I'm wrong or if it's changed since then. But a couple of weeks after E3, the Elden Ring trailer was the most viewed trailer out of everything shown at E3 2021. Um, and, and that's that's with the series being known for being, you know, punishingly difficult. Although arguably, after you play enough Souls, you kind of start to learn why it's hard, especially at, at first. And, and you know, oftentimes you can overcome that initial almost shocking difficulty with, with, with some serious ease after you play a few of them. But anyways, so they, they definitely carved out a niche for themselves by being the difficult series. Um, so, so just from that pragmatic point of view, I think that there's a business sense in crafting this very particular experience the way Mr. Miyazaki wants to. Um, any, any thoughts on that, John? Uh, I'm not surprised Elden Ring is, is getting all that, that traction. And, and I definitely agree with what you're saying there. Like difficulty is like part of the identity of that freaking series. Um, it, it, I don't think it would be nearly what it is culturally right now. Um, if, if that wasn't the case, um, I'm really hoping Elden Ring has no difficulties. I think it's been confirmed that they don't. It has. Yeah. I, I have a Kotaku article up here right now, actually saying that they don't have a difficulty setting. And this is actually kind of what prompted that discussion a while ago. Um, just because I was foolishly, I waded into the comments. Um, yeah. <laughs> Fool. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, maybe just just to quickly let me yeah let me read you the comment <laughs> that that prompted my my annoyance I guess. Uh, so I won't read the username, um, but it says difficulty options do nothing except expand the potential number of people who will play the game. I don't give a fuck if I'm, and then they have every other letter capitalized. So that's to indicate a meme where you're like soft brained or smooth brained. Anyways, I don't give a fuck if I'm cheating myself out of some arbitrary experience. I just want to get through the game without wasting a lot of my precious time. <laughs> I don't know, I know what to say to that. Like you just want to get through the game. That, that makes it sound like it's a chore. Like that makes it sound like you literally are just, I always have to be getting through a game. And if, if I'm not getting through a game, I'm not accomplishing something. And if I'm not accomplishing something, well, yeah, I, I would be really interested to to hear some feedback from anyone who listens to this about why you might be in favor of difficulty. Because, like like you said there, it makes it sound like a chore. I, I would rather struggle to get through a great experience than blaze through something I didn't enjoy that much. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, it's not to say if you played it on easy that you wouldn't enjoy it as much. But if for something like the Soulsborne series, where it's you know that struggle is it's actually it's part of the freaking world lore. Um, the fact that you're going to die in the whole, what, what do they call it in there? The dark sign. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And the, the rebirth and hollowing and all that stuff. Like the, the world is based around that struggle and getting through that struggle is, is a huge accomplishment. Um, I, it's, I don't relate to that. So it's that comment just seems silly to me, but I'd, I'd like to hear <laughs> what people, anyone in favor of difficulties, but why, why, why would you prefer that? Yeah. Now, I actually, I, I want to quickly just, this is me talking up my butt here and, and almost arguing against myself or, or just talking about something that I think maybe runs counter to what I was saying that is included in, in the Souls games. And that's right. the cooperative mode, because I think a lot of people discount the fact that if you're having a hard time with a Souls game, it's usually, at least when they're new, very easy to get somebody who's a freaking badass tank wearing nothing but underwear and has a giant sword to come help you just steamroll everything for sure right but for whatever reason that doesn't annoy me and i don't know why tell me why that doesn't annoy me john uh because of your 900 deaths <laughs> ah yes yes my so infamous eternal difficulty yeah 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 yes that's why yeah, of course. I think it's just it's part of the, the world again. Um, the summons. Yeah, it is. Not, it is baked into the lore. Sure. It's not just some matchmaking system. It just feels like more part of the world. Um, not, not only that, you're not you're not just forced to summon um, people online. You can also do the offline summon signs with the NPCs, right? True. Yeah. True enough. Yeah. Um, yeah. I guess. It, I, I mean. Yeah. It it was all intentionally designed that way. I'm not. I'm not changing the numbers at all. Although I guess bosses do have more health if you go in with a party member. But. Right. Um. But. Yeah. Like you both. It still requires the cooperation of, of two actual human players, 
you know, executing and, and doing the things they need to do well. Yeah, so. if you summon a troll, you've just made it more true. Yeah, <laughs> actually, oftentimes you summon help and it does end up screwing you over because they die immediately. And then and you're then, left with a buffed boss. <laughs> yeah, it's just a pretty bad feeling. Um, anyways, I, I do think, though, the Souls series doesn't get enough credit for the fact that they kind of have a baked in help me, I'm, I'm struggling uh, option. And especially if you have a friend who's playing it or a friend who loves the games and, you know, has beaten them all solo and knows what they're doing. Like, that's a great fun way to kind of experience that series if you are struggling and aren't able to kind of get past some stuff on your own. Really fun to have a I would definitely say ignore the loudest voices out there too because there's a lot of people who are like, you know, if you didn't beat it without a summon sign, could you really beat it? <laughs> yeah. yeah like, give, me, give me a fucking break. <laughs> that's obnoxious. Yeah. Yeah. But they gave you, the developers gave you these tools to use, right? You're not abusing anything by using them by any means. I, I will say it, it is nice to be able to have those moments where you say, oh my God, I did that myself. Look at me go. I'm a big dick gamer boy. That like it's inevitably going to feel super awesome when you do that. And I think another kind of point in favor of these kind of more handcrafted difficulty experiences is they, they create these special moments, right? These moments that, that capital G gamers can congregate around and say, that was fucking cool when you did that. Like, look at this video of this guy pulling off this amazing, you know, two hit kill against that one boss in Dark Souls 3. So anyways, I, I think that there's something there's something to just the cultural moment with with these games being, oh, sorry, that was the other point I wanted to make. The the everybody reacting to the same thing. You're all having more or less the same experience, right? So when somebody talks about beating a boss in Dark Souls, you you know exactly what that felt like when you did it because you fought the same boss. I see where you're going. Um, yeah, the fact that you're all playing the same standard difficulty experience. Yeah, and and yeah, know, yeah. your version of that might have been summoning help. Maybe that's what you had to do to get through. Sure. It, but you still, yeah. you still want to know where they're coming from. Yeah, you all have common knowledge of, of exactly what the experience was, and I just think that that kind of is one of the reasons that the Souls community, you know, blew up and is as big as it is because it's so easy to to commiserate and and you know, you know, talk about the awesome parts and the frustrating parts about the same game that you all played simultaneously. Whereas if everybody, you know, half the people played on easy and half the people played on hard, like, it's kind of hard to compare those two things. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, the early Souls, like, early Demon Souls, early Dark Souls days brought me back to, like, the pre-Game Facts era where we'd be on the phone for two hours. <laughs> right. <laughs> talking, <laughs> talking about our favorite yeah. shit. And that, yeah. that just, I think that's part of why it blew up as big as it was. And I don't think that would have happened if it was... I mean, I don't personally think it would have happened if there was an easy difficulty or a cheaply done one anyway with just yeah. the numbers tweaks. This, this is the question, right? This is this is the ultimate, you know, rebuttal to this this opinion of ours is would they all have been as big of a cultural moment and sold as well as they did if there was a difficulty setting? Maybe they would yeah, have. Yeah. I really wonder because the, the conversation definitely would have changed. Um, yeah, oh, absolutely. It's so hard. Well, why don't you just play it on easy? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then there still would have been the, the get good scrubs would have been even worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. You mean yeah. you can't beat this on easy? What are you talking about? <laughs> um, yeah, but but to your point, definitely everybody who's like get good, you can't play your shit. You're bad. Kill yourself. Fuck. I mean, fuck you for being this like obnoxious elitist. I'm fine with people taking pride in in their ability to to play a video game well. Oh, yeah. Lord knows that playing video games isn't particularly cool to begin with. So at least if you can do it well, there's something to hold on to. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's just being obnoxious about it is just so stupid. Um, and being in, in being in what the hell's the word I'm trying to say? Being purposefully exclusive with these things and trying to get people not to try them. That just annoys the hell out of me too. But anyways, I digress. Um, yeah, I yeah. think that's all I want to say on the difficulty topic. Do you have anything else to add? Uh, no, I don't think so. Um, just going to re reiterate, if you're playing a difficult game that you find challenging, but relatively fair, uh, you know, if you, if you're losing, don't take that personally, you know, just practice. Mm. Yeah. We talked about that, not taking it personally. That's a good point. Which, you know, it's so easy to do. You know, I, I'm, God, I, I love fighting games, but I also fucking hate fighting games because I'm terrible <laughs> at them. <laughs> I'll go online and smash, yeah. and even when we're not lagging, I'd get my fucking ass handed to me, and yeah, I'm going to rage a little bit. But 
I also know that if I dedicate time to it, I, I could improve there. Right. Um, yeah. But, but the question is, do you want to dedicate that time? And if you can honestly say, you know what, I'm okay not doing that. I'll appreciate it from afar. I, exactly. And, you know, I moved on from Smash because it's not where I want to put the, the gaming time I have. <laughs> and, and, you know what, doing all that drywall was really killing your productivity. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I made some some shelves out of all the holes. <laughs> no, there are no yeah. holes in my walls. <laughs> there are no holes in his walls because he fixed them all. Very good. That's in the record now. I have I have first I have taken control of the record. <laughs> um. All right. Uh. I guess. Uh, I, at the risk of making a bad analogy, one one way I I'll just to finish this out. One way I was thinking of this is like like a particular sport that you that your friends are all good at right so so i have friends that are quite good at tennis uh and when we were in school we would go to the tennis courts and they would you know try and teach me how to be good at tennis too uh and i mean recently in school not like when i was a kid and tennis is fun uh but also there's like a really steep learning curve right so kind of like souls there's a bit of a high skill floor and then also a huge skill ceiling and <laughs> i kind of suck at tennis really bad compared to them and I really wasn't getting any better the more we played and I had to ask myself is it unfair is is the sport of tennis being unfair to me by me not being better at it and I mean no obviously I didn't feel that way and I just accepted that I was not going to in my late 20s become awesome at tennis all of a sudden and I just I, I mean I play for fun here and there now but that's just I left it at that right so I, I think people need to have more of an attitude of you know this just isn't going to be my thing I can appreciate it for, for what it is and, and move on and do the things that I enjoy. There's plenty of other awesome, you know, games to play. And if you, if you like souls enough that you want to put in the time, you can. I actually quite like that analogy. And I want to revisit the um, developer angle here. Um, I feel like for something like dark souls and the kind of, you know, the fucked up lore in Miyazaki's head, if anyone doesn't know Miyazaki, um, I can't remember his full name, but he's yeah, the director Hide, of the Hide series. Yeah, Taka Miyazaki. Hide Taka. He's, he's the um, director of the series. I think he's now the president of FromSoft. Um, FromSoft yeah, believe... creators of the, the whole thing. Um, exactly. I, I feel like they had to go in there with a really intentional design to get like the, the little bits of lore hands out at the right moments to kind of lure you in and get you to speculate about what's going on here. So, you know, I feel like, and, and speaking for myself also for the kinds of games I want to make that I'm trying to get the skills to make, um, I really want to make something that you're going to remember when you're done. And I, I don't want to cheapen it by letting you blaze through some segment with an easy mode. Right. That, that, that's like how I would approach pretty much anything I would try to make. Um, and I, I feel like some of the best games have that philosophy. Obviously, I, I don't talk to these these guys, so I don't know. I'd love to be a fucking fly on the wall in that office. But... Absolutely. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> um, it, yeah, I, I feel like it would definitely be cheapened by by having that easy mode because uh, yeah. easy modes also often come with um other bonuses like in rpgs you might get more exp so you're going to really blaze through something that would otherwise yeah, yeah. be a challenge right um, yeah so j just speaking from my own ambitions game dev wise um i can definitely see a developer trying to put out an experience and you know enjoy it or don't enjoy it that's what they intended to make and that's what they put out and i'm, I'm definitely all for that yeah, I think uh, this is the last thing I'll say on the damn topic, but I think um, just, just to kind of somewhat piggyback on that point, one of the benefits of, of not having a difficulty selection is that the, the developer controls the pacing a little bit better. Sure. Um, I guess in some ways, if you're really bad or, or sorry, that was that was mean, if you're really struggling uh, at a particular point of the game and you're just you're at this choke point, you can't get through that kind of destroys the pacing, too. Um, but, but to an extent, they can kind of determine the, the speed at which you're going to experience the different parts of their game. Um, and I think we'll save this for a future discussion, but th this is one of my issues with open world games and, and too much player freedom. And obviously some people love just freedom unlimited to be able to do whatever they want in a video game. And I find that crippling in some instances and, and kind of inevitably detracts from my experience because the pacing, as gamers, I think we're pretty bad at you know setting our own pace for for you know interesting new 
discoveries, you know, experiencing the story at a reasonable rate for games where you can do side quests for 70 hours and not touch the main story, that kind of thing. So doing a more, <laughs> having a more handcrafted experience where they kind of set the pace for you, I think, if not the only option, there's at least a, a big space in gaming for that. And I don't want to see that go away. Oh, for sure. Um, and, and just to our, our point here about developer intended experiences, if the experience intended is a big open world where you get that sandbox freedom, you know, then that's either something you like or don't like. Um, if you don't like it, that game might not be for you, right? Yeah, yeah, and, and that's and that's totally fine. Cool. Um, all right, I think I'm good on the topic of difficulty for now. Maybe we'll revisit it someday when when our mentions blow up and everybody tells us how stupid we are and <laughs> why, we, why we suck. But uh, yeah, I think I've pretty much said my piece. I definitely think there's more to say here in, in, uh, in a future episode, so we can definitely revisit that someday. Cool. All right. Um, so we'll leave it there for now. Last thing we want to talk about is just a little bit of, of video game news. Um, we're reacting in real time. No, that's not true. This news is like a day old, but um, <laughs> <laughs> Nintendo just announced their new Nintendo Switch, which is not called that. We'll get to that in a moment. Um, but their new model of the Nintendo Switch, which a lot of people, based on like Bloomberg reports, which is a pretty reputable news source, thought was going to have some like higher resolutions, stronger chips, better battery life. Well, we got none of that. Um, <laughs> so it's it's a bigger screen and it's an OLED screen as opposed to what's the current screen then? I actually don't even know. Uh, just maybe regular LED or. No, I'll, I will be honest. Sure. I'm, I'm going to admit that my my hardware knowledge on, on different screen types is actually pretty pretty immediately. I will say the screen looks nice. I, I like a bigger screen. There ain't nothing wrong with that. Um, but it, it really only benefits people playing on handheld because as far as we know from the announcement, there's essentially no difference to the experience docked compared to a base Switch model. I don't think anything changes. Uh, I don't think so. Uh, and so just to, to revisit that quick, the current screen is LCD. LCD, okay, the new one's OLED. So I guess a nice a nicer, brighter display. They've made no comment, though, about a, a better battery life, and I'm assuming a bigger, brighter screen would take up more battery, would it not? I would think so. Maybe it's not enough to make a huge difference. Or Maybe, some, yeah. The, the OLED technology might just mean sharper colors without... Without more power draw, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Could be. I, I'm, I'm like you. I don't know a great <laughs> deal about this display hardware stuff, but yeah. Um, one thing is they doubled the storage size. Right, from 32 measly gigabytes to 64 measly gigabytes. <laughs> a truly pathetic amount of space for a you modern. Can now, you can console. now install at least 90% of Doom. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> I have to buy it right now. Um, yeah, I don't know. Just I don't think I don't think anybody was really. I guess we should ask who's this for, right? And it's for people who haven't bought the system yet, I guess. Um, it's just, but it's a pretty middling upgrade for people who are, you know, if they were on the fence or they hadn't bought yet. It's not really much of an improvement over the base model. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm certainly not going to buy it. Um, they finally added a LAN port, which should have been there since day one anyway. Sure, although apparently there was an adapter you could buy that that had like a, a LAN port you could um, use on, on the on the base model. So like that technology it, it never was, should have been separate. Though. No, of course, of course. It was like a peripheral thing, which is stupid. But yeah. yes, that, that, that isn't even new, though, is what I'm saying. The fact that it's built in is new, but it's not like it's new functionality. Exactly. Um, yeah, I, I agree with what you said there. This is for people who don't have one yet. Um, I think the... It's John, are you, are you currently being arrested? <laughs> oh, you hear the sirens there? <laughs> <laughs> so for all you out there, I live in an apartment and it's fucking sweltering hot right now because I have to turn off my AC to, to do this recording. And so now you get to hear all those wonderful sirens. <laughs> yeah. Just be <laughs> glad you're not hearing his, his, his fans going and his AC going. And know that he is a very wet man right now. <laughs> well, I am having a pretty good time. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the end of the podcast. Uh, uh, what the hell point was I trying to make? Sorry, uh, I interrupted you. Oh, it was, we were talking about the land port. We were talking about. Oh, uh, I was just saying, I, I, it's kind of boring news. Um, oh, for sure. Uh, I know a lot of people are disappointed by the lack of like 4K and whatnot. 
personally, I'm not really bothered by it. I just find this is like a really boring announcement. And the, the trailer they put out, is, you know, it's it's two minutes long because 90% of it is shots of these fake people. Oh my God. These games. And then every, you know, interrupted by like two seconds of brand new kickstand. <laughs> I, well, it, it was funny to me. It was like, it's all these handsome people. There was one guy in particular who was like sitting down. I think he was playing Pokemon. And I was like, he's like a handsome ass mid thirties, you know, suave looking dude. Guarantee you he's never, never touched a Pokemon game in his life. Get some fat nerd to play these games in your commercials, you assholes. I don't understand <laughs> the hesitance here to just like lean into it. Obviously not. I mean, don't mean to stereotype all gamers as fat nerds, but you, you catch my, my point. I just, it's, it's so obvious that this man does not know what a Pokemon is. Um, yeah. Well, okay, you're being anti-handsome, Kyle. Uh, as a as a as a fellow handsome, John, I I, <laughs> I disagree. As a fellow handsome, <laughs> are you one of the handsome? <laughs> well, for all the video listeners out there, you, you you know, video watchers, I guess you'll you'll see, of course, if I am a fellow handsome. Sorry for the audio only listeners; you also guess based on my voice how handsome I am, but. Um, yeah, the, the trailer was was pretty sad and just very corporate, like very boring ass Nintendo. They couldn't have been like more uninspired, in my opinion. It's the usual like squeaky clean Nintendo image, right? Honestly, yeah. I, I joked about this with you the other day, but the biggest lie in that trailer is those those two people playing Smash Online with no leg. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, that's false advertising, and they should probably be taken to court for that. But. Um, you can you can show them all the fucking holes in your wall. Anyways, um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely just like I'm not upset about it. It's just goddamn boring, man. Like holy cow, could they have been more underwhelming? I genuinely can't think of how. Yeah, there's there's just zero. I have zero excitement. I'm not looking forward to this thing. I'm not gonna buy it. Um, yeah, if they're, okay. if, if they're releasing it to people who, or specifically for people who don't own one, then it was never for us to begin with. But it's just it's boring i was hoping for something exciting and we got this pretty lame announcement yeah, and the name yeah. the name bracket oh OLED. the name oh. the name bracket <laughs> oled yeah so we should probably just call it bracket oled from now on and not even mention switch do you own a nintendo switch bracket oled model bracket <laughs> that, that's so for listeners out there that's genuinely the name that's what they're calling it nintendo switch open parentheses oled close parentheses that is the official name of the product not new nintendo switch not nintendo switch xl nintendo switch plus nothing no marketing so, so went into this listed listed on the nintendo site the the page for this is oled model nintendo switch oled model that's the oled model name. that's the okay all right great yeah so that's awesome very good i'm so glad that's in the fucking nintendo canon now thanks guys uh yeah so nothing really I don't really have anything else to add there. It's just, I'll reiterate, it's pretty boring. Mm, okay. One more thing I'll say on this and then we'll end the podcast. So I, one of the reasons that I wanted to talk about this was I was I was on Kotaku as I, as I am sometimes. Um, and I, again, stupidly waded into the comments. And I, I shared this one with you and it didn't bug you as much as it bugged me, but we'll talk about that briefly sure. before we go today. Um, so there was a gentleman who was reacting to uh, Mike Fahey. Uh, I'm guessing that's how you say his name of, of Kotaku just essentially complaining the same way we did saying that I think that the article is titled the new OLED switch wasn't what anybody was hoping was hoping for. Um, and then he just kind of argues that it's, it's a pretty underwhelming reveal. Mm-hmm. And then the, the, the top comment on the article uh, says, I'll, I'll read some of it here on one hand. Yeah. Nintendo has gotten by for a while with only incremental upgrades that aren't anywhere close to its competition and people keep buying them. That's a fair point. Um, but on the other hand, you had no reason to expect that Nintendo would add 4K or a newer processor or anything else. People getting mad or upset at Nintendo for not doing the things that they never indicated that they would be doing is just silly. Rumors are meaningless and Nintendo not doing what was rumored isn't on them. Now, I, that, I, that wasn't really the part of the comment I was I was drawing attention to when I shared it with you. But you, you pointed out that that's all pretty even handed, although a little bit confrontational. Um, yeah, I know. I know the point you're you're getting to specifically um yeah i think this bothered me less because at the end he wraps this up by saying 
I can't imagine anyone who already has a switch upgrading just to get these new features. I'm certainly not, but it right. sweetens the pot for people who don't already have one. And, you know, I definitely agree with that. If you don't have one, you're getting on board with a better version of the switch. The rest of us. Have. Although fucking barely, like <laughs> barely, yeah, barely. Uh, so what annoyed me about this comment though, and we'll probably talk about this in more detail on a future episode as, as kind of a main topic, but, um, where where's the point he makes here yada yada mm -hmm. ah okay at the end of the day nintendo knows what sells consoles better than we do and they know how much adding 4k output to the switch would cost this isn't a case of them not listening to their fans it's a case of them a business not doing what wouldn't make them money regardless of what a vocal portion of the fan base yells about so i just personally really hate this attitude of like flip-flopping on, on for these companies and basically just adopting whatever stance you know defends them and makes them look best in this case he's arguing that because they're a business we should never expect them to to do what fans might want them to do and to always excuse them for looking out for their bottom line and and you know cynically sure that's what a business does they look up for their bottom line but he's using this as a shield so that you know if you're criticizing them Oh, well, how could you be so naive to criticize them? They're a business, okay? So it wasn't reasonable for them to upgrade the Switch in a, in a you know, noticeable fashion that would actually improve the, the performance of the system. You're silly and naive for thinking that. They're a business. What are you thinking? That annoys the ever-living hell out of me. Um, and it just it makes my blood boil a little bit. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. Um, for first, Nintendo doesn't need you to defend them. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're just gonna do what Nintendo has always done, which is whatever they want to do. Yeah, look at and look at AM AM2R. This is yeah, <laughs> exactly yeah, a, a reference to earlier in the podcast. I will bitch ad nauseum about their stance against fan creations, but not right now. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah I, I get why this this part of the comment bugs you. I, I'm still not as upset by it as you are, but um, the the. People constantly coming to the defense of these enormous companies is annoying. Um, but at the end of the day, like if you don't like this, then don't buy it. The only yeah. way to actually get a message <laughs> across to these people, these people being Nintendo, is don't buy the thing you don't like. Um, and maybe they'll look at that as a reason to make the thing you do like. <laughs> and then just for the record, for all the listeners here, uh, John and I both paid full price for Final Fantasy XV. Uh, so we do not know how to take our own medicine. Don't ever listen to anything we say. We suck. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay, I think I think I'll leave it there. The Switch news was hilariously underwhelming. Uh, here's to to something cool from Nintendo sometime in the future. Here's hoping. Um, yeah. yeah, I found their entire E E three presentation to be pretty meh. Also, I mean, everybody's in my opinion was pretty pretty underwhelming this year I, it's you know it's a weird year just like last year was but uh yeah nintendo's i think it was on on viewing the whole e3 presentation it was one of the better ones um for, for me personally anyways but uh yeah it, it was overall just a pretty boring like the blockbuster announcements were very few and far between so yep. well yep. i mean you can't be you know with, with COVID and everything there's there was bound to be a little less than usual, but sure. Yeah. Sure. Uh, are know, we allowed? Are we allowed to say that word, John? <laughs> we went the whole <laughs> podcast without even mentioning it. That's a good sign. That's a good sign. Things have gotten better. For all the historians listening to this, twenty years from now, this is a turning point. Okay. <laughs> it took us like an hour to mention COVID. All right. Um, <laughs> yeah, we our podcast was the turning point. That's the history the books. Yeah. The <laughs> the record will reflect that. Um, yeah. All right. Yeah, well, John, thanks for joining me for the podcast today, our inaugural one. Um, I hope anybody who listens to this enjoyed and, and will listen to some future ones. I'm sure we'll probably do this every couple of weeks as our plan for now. So uh, anything you want to say for this for the sign off, John, you have I've just decided on the spot that you always have uh, responsibility for a quick witty sign off. <laughs> I have nothing witty to say. I'm just going to say thanks again for listening. And here's to many more episodes. Awful, really bad. Okay, um, cool. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll come at you soon.